calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. <laughs> Five of the Wrestling History 101 podcast classes in session. I'm Elio. He's Ben. Ben, what's going on? Finally, you gave me a pay per view to watch that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did. Actually, I I've, like been, I've been wanting to watch that one for a while. Like, I wanted to, uh, like, a couple of years after it came out, I could never find it. And then uh, when my friend uh, that lived a few doors up for me was working at the video store that was like 15 minutes away. So I'm like, yo, can you get the Survivor Series for me? So he uh, put it aside for me. Uh, so when he got off work, he came home and he dropped it off at my house. So that night I got to see it for the first time. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, and, um, you know, this was my first time seeing uh, this. This was the debut edition of Survivor Series. And, um, you know, I I have to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed this show. You know, it didn't have the, you know, the week buildup and then, you know, the yeah. one or two matches that you came to see. It, it, it kind of... The way it was structured um, kind of reminded me of, like, um, the NXT Black and Gold cards, mm-hmm. just in the respect of, like, there were four matches on this show, and yes, they were all traditional Survivor Series tag team matches, with the exception of the 20-man tag team match, which we'll get into, um, but... You know, I, um, yeah, this was, I would say that this was the first, uh, show that we've covered on, um, Wrestling History 101 that wasn't a chore to get through. So I'm looking forward to discussing this one. So, Ben, but before we do that, we have a couple of, uh, non pay per views that took place in 1987. And, um, and again, like King of the Ring 86, we're going to play a game where you're going to pick the winners of the matches. We have the tournament bracket here in front of me, and then I'll tell you who actually won, all right? Okay, cool. So, in the first round, we had Haku versus Brutus Beefcake. Haku. Haku. Then we have Rick Martel versus Danny Spivey. Rick Martel. Okay. We have King Kong Bundy versus the One Man Gang. Oh, they well, they were actually on the same Survivor Series team. Um, I would say King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy, and then we have Special Delivery Jones versus Sika. Oh, Sika! Please tell me Sika kicked his ass. Unfortunately. Not special delivery Jones one in six minutes four seconds. 
What? Oh, that is that is just tragic. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> okay. Then we had Tito Santana versus Dangerous Danny Davis. Uh, Tito Santana. Or as Jesse Ventura called him, couldn't get away with this today. Chico Santana. Unfortunately not. No. Um, Dangerous Danny Davis won by count out. Holy shit, what are, what are they doing here? And then we had Chunk Air Dog versus Tama of the Islanders. Uh, Junk Air Dog. Junk Air Dog. Jim Brunzel versus Ron Bass. Jim, Jim Brunzel. And Randy Savage versus Nikolai Volkov. And Randy Savage. All right, that brings us to the quarterfinals. We have Haku versus Rick Martel. Haku. No, no one won. That was, it was a fifteen-minute draw. Well, that was a trick question because you told me to pick one. But okay. No, but no, but I, I, I just uh, saw that myself. I thought like for sure someone uh, would have won that one. Yeah. Okay, King Kong Bundy versus Special Delivery Jones. King Kong Bundy. And it lasted longer than thirty-two seconds. <laughs> This one went four minutes and two seconds. That's surprising. Dangerous Danny Davis versus the Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog. Dangerous Danny Davis by countout. The fuck? <laughs> wait, have... wait a minute, wait a minute. So, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Because I, I was a little bit confused when I saw this. I'm not jumping ahead, but I was a little bit confused when I saw this. Okay. So 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 Danny Davis was in the Survivor Series match. Um and um but yet he he's a former referee turned wrestler. Correct. So, so I was a little bit confused by that because I I remember him as a referee but not as a wrestler. Uh, and you don't know the so, story. So, you don't know this, you don't know the story there, right? No. I love when I get to teach, give you history lesson and tell you stories. It is so much fun. That's why I love this podcast. Okay, I'll tell you that story when we get to Survivor Series. Okay, very good. Then we have Jim Brunzel versus Randy Savage. Uh, Randy Savage. All right, that brings us to the semifinals. And now, speaking, speak, right. when we get to the Survivor Series review... I have a bone to pick with Jumpin' Jim Bronzel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. All right. Now, of course, no one won between Hakun Rick Martel, so there was a bye. So King Kong Bundy on, gets that bye into the finals. Okay. So one match, Dangerous Danny Davis versus Randy Savage. Jesus Christ. Uh, Randy Savage. And now the finals. Randy Savage versus King Kong Bundy. We're not taking calls right now. Uh, Randy Savage. And Randy Savage is your King of the Ring 1987 winner. Very good. All right. Now. Why why couldn't we see that on pay-per-view? You know, and I understand this was still the early days and pay-per-view wasn't as big as it is today, but... Even as a special on television, 
like make it a, like a special. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. I would. I would love to have seen that. Now, of course, as you know, I love my movies. I have to go to the movies on every time there's a pay per view. I usually that's yeah, what we, on weekends. We have to make a pit stop via the DeLorean. Yeah. The number, the number one movie playing was Stakeout, starring Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfus. I've never even heard of that movie. Apparently, it's a it's a comedy uh, about uh, it's like a buddy cop movie, oh. basically. And so it's Richard drives me Westfield and two detectives who observe an escaped convict's ex girlfriend by complications set in when one of them falls for her. Uh huh. You know th- that could either be the romantic a romantic comedy or a, or the or the beginning of a bad porno. <laughs> based on that, based on that synopsis. All right, now Ben, we're gonna jump ahead one month to October for the very first Royal Rumble, which took place from St. Louis, Missouri. And of course, and this. And this was the this was the first official one, correct? Well, the unofficial official Royal Rumble, yes. It was basically a battle royal that they were testing out with like uh, uh, wrestlers drawing numbers. Now, of course, okay, cool. Of, of course, the movie I went to see on this particular weekend was Fatal Attraction. Now, obviously, I've seen that one. That's right. a very good movie. Yeah. All right. So, Royal Rumble 87. So, we have Hillbilly Jim defeating Nikolai Volkov. Magnificent Don Morocco defeating Cowboy Bob Orton. The One Man Gang defeated the Junkyard Dog. Paul Orndorff defeated Rick Rude and... Oh, I'll get into on another podcast going into that storyline because that one was kind of weird. And Billy Jack Haynes and Davy Boy Smith, odd pairing, defeated Demolition. Yeah, and, that uh, is a very, very strange pairing. And Billy Jack Haynes wrestled twice because right after that he defeated King Kong Bundy. I don't know how. But who did? Wait a minute. Wait, 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 who defeated King Kong Bundy? Billy Jack Haynes. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> no, I know. Is it? Wait a minute. Okay. Oh, hold on. Is smoke coming out of my ears? What? What's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I, I told you I cannot stand Billy Jack Haynes. Then we had Sensational Sherry defeating Velvet McIntyre. And the winner of the Royal Rumble match, the one man gang, last eliminating the Junkyard Dog. Now, in this one, there were 12 men in this Royal Rumble. Oh, so only 12. Okay, so yeah, they were really testing it out then. Yep. All right, so Ben, 
Now that we've got the unofficial events out of the way, what do you say we get into Survivor Series 1987? Versus the Pierce family. Ben, are you ready? Who will survive? Well, if if you were really asking me that question, I would have had a uh, I would have had a cool response. But um, but since we're reviewing a pay per view, um, you know, I I, th- I think I have to go with the official uh, official um, you know lineup here. Um, and some of these uh, really surprised me, mm-hmm. and um, and some and some of it was was very um, was very positive, um, okay. and how it surprised me. So, um, so outside of my, the one bone I have to pick with <laughs> um, with jumping Jim Bronzel. You're which, not happy with him. Which, you were you were messaging me. You were very upset with him. <laughs> I just I I don't I don't get it. And, and I'm I'm starting to to understand because I, I you know through this new um through this new venture with Wrestling History 101 I, I'm starting to you know watch more and more shows and and do more research into the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but this this is just one of those things where I'm like, what the hell happened here? Um, so um, with with that being said, that's what we call a tease in the in the news business. Um, we'll, we'll jump right into uh, Survivor Series 1987. Now ben, I have a question for you before we get into it. Were you paying attention to when? That guy, Craig DeGeorge, was interviewing the teams backstage. Yeah. Because yes, was. some of the acting was atrocious. Like, example, Bruce Beefcake. When he was, he, this guy was interviewing Savage's team, you see Beefcake's, like, facial expressions. Well, well I, I, think, I think everybody did a very poor job. Um, not necessarily the interviewer, because he was just trying to do. No, not um, even. I'm talking about, I'm talking about like, uh, not not even the people that he was interviewing. It was like all the other members behind in, in the back. Like, uh, like I couldn't yeah, like, I mean, stop looking. I couldn't stop looking at BK. I'm like, what is wrong with him with these faces? It was, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of reminded me of the faces that I made when I was getting my chest tattooed. <laughs> And and the guy had to the guy had to stop, and you know I'm I'm friends with the guy, so he was messing with me, and and, and he stopped and goes, "You are making some faces there, boy," um, you know, and that's what that reminded me of. But in, in general, um, I found the um, background players, um, 
to be very distracting in in those in, in those segments. I remember um you know who I remember who, 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 Hogan who was, was Go on. Go ahead. Go, I'm no, sorry, no, go I was ahead. Say, you know, who was really uh disturbing me was a demolition axe. Like what well, Yes. I was like, oh, I couldn't stop. Like, I'm looking at him like, what is going on right now? Yeah, and, and, you know, once again, folks, it's just, I think it's one of those things where you have to make allowances because the 80s were a different time frame. Yeah. Um, But then again, you, you know, like, the 90s comparison that I would make, and, and even though it wasn't, like, that bad, but the closest comparison I can make is like, remember how bad Sid Vicious was with his interview segments? Yep. Like that. That's what this kind of reminded me of. With because I understood what they were trying to do with the with the with the team interviews before the, the matches. Yeah. Um, but it just um. What it didn't you, work because there was a lot of overacting going yeah. on. What were you say? Was it about Hogan's team or something? Well, yeah, because when 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 Hogan was was being interviewed, mm-hmm. all the people in the back were so distracting. I was oh, I, I couldn't even it's... focus because they were they were literally. I shit you not, folks. It was like they were going rah 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 rah. And um so that was that was distracting. Yeah. But um but but once we got into the um actual matches and and like I said, you know, a lot of these interview things were taking place yep. uh between the matches. Um but I think a lot of the, the in-ring stuff is actually quite good. So, sorry, before you get into the first match, I- I'm just going to I'm gonna read off the elimination because I have them in front of me for, like, each match okay. that we do. All right. So, Ben, we'll see we get into the Survivor Series first match. Okay. Yes, and, and for, for some reason, my... Uh... My uh, computer just shut that tab off. So hold oh, on, no. get that back. All right, for so for the first match, we had the first team captain Randy Savage, which included Brutus Beefcake, Jake the, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, versus a team captain by the Honky Dog Man, which included Dangerous Danny Davis, King Harley Race, Hercules. And Outlaw Ron Bass. Um. So, so before we get into uh, um to anything, can you explain to me the dangerous uh, Danny Davis thing? Because I was very good. I was okay. very thrown off right, by yeah. that. First of all, also you uh you were you were messaging me uh how it was odd seeing Jake the Snake on Savage's team, right? So I mean, yes. I'll, I'll I'll give you two stories. So. I told you the early, the first part of 87 ties in with the second part of 87. Now, do you remember, do you recall I told you how uh, Honky Tonk Man was a guest on Jake the Snake Roberts' uh, Snake Pit segment? Yes, sir. 
And uh, that was the double turn where Jake turned face and Honky Tonk turned heel after he bashed Jake over the back with the guitar. Right. And that, and that led to their match at WrestleMania 3. So from that point on, Jake was uh, faced throughout all of 87. So that explains his uh, why, him being on Savage's team. As was, uh, I guess, basically the same with Steamboat. Uh, the whole feud with him and Savage at WrestleMania 3. But then, of course, Savage turned face in October of 87. Now, there yeah, is the, and, go on. And some, and, and I discovered some of that, you know, post, uh, post event research wise. Um, but you know, when I, when I was actually watching it, I try to go into, I'll be honest with you. I try to go into actually watching these events somewhat blind. Yep. So I don't, so, so I don't have any, you know, um, preconceived ideas, and I can just get a feel for the event itself. And then I and go plus you'd like, and, and plus you love my history lessons. Yes, and then and then I go and, and and do the research after the fact. Now, from what I from what I was able to gather, um, so apparently, um, three of the people on um honky tonks team including him were um randy savage's previous three feuds uh going into this match um, um uh, i don't recall ron bass no no not him but oh. but i'm just i'm just saying three of them on on that team so uh if, if we look at the um if we look at the team uh, lineup, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, they said that he was in a feud with uh, talking about Randy Savage, uh, the Honky Tonk Man, uh, King Har Harley Race, and I can't. I can't remember the the third one. That's gonna drive me nuts. But looking at the looking at the lineup, I'm not sure why he would be in a feud with Danny Davis or the outlaw Ron okay. Bass. Okay. I don't recall okay. that. Well, see, that's uh, that's where I was getting confused because there. I know. Um, I know uh, the name that you said. Uh, the first one, which you said was. Honky Tonk Man, but I don't recall like uh, the other two. So, but yeah, well, well, and that and that was difficult for me too because I was I was going into this kind of blind as I was explaining. Now, Danny Davis does have a connection to Randy Savage, so that's the the story. Technically, the story begins in nineteen eighty six. Okay, so okay. we have to we have to travel back to February eighth of eighty six. It's the Boston Garden. Tito Santana defending, defending the Intercontinental Championship against Randy Savage. The referee for that match is Danny Davis. Okay. Okay. So, the way the match ended, 
So Savage Savage is on the ring, standing on the ring apron with his back to Davis. Davis is busy with Hero Santana, who's down on the mat. Right. So this allows Savage to dig into his trunks, pull out the brass knuckles. Then he hits uh, Santana with brass knuckles, knocking him out, covers him, and Davis makes the three the three count. So Savage is your champion. So right. that's the connection with uh, Danny Davis and Randy Savage. He was referee for the match there. Okay. So how did um is that now is that how Danny Davis morphed into a wrestler? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that because Danny Davis was also Mr. X, if you recall. From uh, King of the Ring eighty five or eighty six. Remember I said oh, uh, Mr. X was... Yeah, that uh, does ring a bell. Yeah, he was Mr. X under a mask, but no one knew that at the time. I didn't even know. So okay. for Danny Davis transitioning from referee to wrestler, we have to go to January of 87. So it's Saturday, January 26, 1987. Our foundation's uh, challenging the British Bulldogs for the Tag Team Championships. So um, I believe it was um, Dynamite Kid who got uh, hit with the megaphone. So he's laying on the floor unconscious. Danny Davis is standing on the apron motioning for Dynamite to get back in the ring. Well, meanwhile, the Heart Foundation are double teaming Davy Boy Smith and following the double team, managing to get the three count to become the new champions. However, that's not going to happen because uh, President Jack Tunney at the time was keeping an eye on Danny Davis, who he's been, who he noticed was kind of like uh, leaning towards the heels in matches. So, right. uh, so he reviewed the tape, and after doing so, he uh, revoked uh, Davis's license and banned him from from refereeing for life. And so, Jimmy Hart recruited him to be part of the Heart Foundation stable. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And I, and that that's why we got that six-man tag match with uh, him and the Heart Foundation versus Tito Santana and the Bulldogs at WrestleMania 3. Oh, that's awesome. Because, and, and, Tito, yeah. because of uh, the refereeing in the Santana Savage match in 86. Oh, very good. Like he was I getting, love these him. He was getting into love, a, he was getting into a heated uh a heated feud with Santana as well. Oh, talking about talking about Danny Davis? Yes. Well yeah, because he screwed he screwed Santana out of the out of the intercontinental title. But like, so. uh, but like any any other any other time like afterwards, like he would like always get into Santana's face, which allowed the heel to like uh to to execute the dirty tactics to pick up the victories. Now, did uh, did Santana ever get his um revenge on Davis? In that six man tag match, yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I think he pinned him. Yeah, uh, and you can hear that review on episode sixty three of uh, the PNC Progression Wrestling podcast. Absolutely. I know. And, and, and by the and by well, the way, folks, just so you know, 
Elio gave me the entire history lesson. He wasn't looking at any notes or nope. anything. He, no notes he at did all. That, he did that strictly out of his head. So he really nope. is the goddamn historian. Because not even I can do that kind of shit out of my head. Um, now, so, I, have the, I have the eliminations for this match. Yeah, go ahead. So the first... Two are Harley Race and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were eliminated due to a double count out. Which I don't know about you, but I hated that. Uh, well, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan I mean, and uh, Harley Race were, I believe, in the feud at that time. But uh, yeah, I well, hate that. I mean, and, and that part makes sense. Like I, uh, like I get, I get that part. Mm-hmm. But but when you're talking about a Survivor Series match, yeah. And you know, five on five, and so much is on the line. Apparently, like for countouts to lead to eliminations, I just I, th- that never sat right with me. And then we had Ron Bass el- eliminated by Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and then the Hawk Talk Man eliminates Brutus Beefcake. Jake the Steak Roberts eliminated Danny Davis. Randy Savage eliminated Hercules, and the Honky Tonk Man just flew, went over the top rope voluntarily, which resulted in a countdown. So he eliminated himself, with the sole survivors being Randy Savage, Jake Snake Roberts, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You know what was so interesting about that ending, right? So the the, the Honky Tonk Man does the smart thing, and and sorry, just, sorry, just we, you, we have time. Get this in before I think we have time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so Honky Tonk Man does the right thing because he's facing um Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, and um Ricky Steamboat, if memory serves me correctly, Mm -hmm. um, in a three-on-one situation. Yep. And he, so he does the smart thing and just eliminates himself. But the interesting thing there, well, two things really. Um, one, Jesse the Body Ventura did a fantastic job as the heel commentator, applauding him for doing that. Because even I, from a logical perspective, because you know how I, how I like to, you know, employ logic as as a lot of as the basis for a lot of my critique on this show. Yep. Um, you know, so so I really appreciated Jesse doing that because, you know, usually you want to hate on the heel commentator, but you couldn't hate on him for that because it was just, it was perfectly logical. Yep. And, you know, not even, not even Gorilla Monsoon, the ultimate good guy, could say anything to that because he was exactly right. Um, so there, there was that as well. Um, but, um, but the, the thing that I, that I enjoyed about this match is, was the wrestling necessarily great? No, I don't think so. How, however, everything tied together so nicely from a storyline perspective. Mm-hmm. So he, so even somebody who was coming in cold and you know I'm a long time wrestling fan but but even like I'm always going to tell you when I don't when I don't know something or I'm not familiar with something. 
Yeah. But like like the commentary and everything did a fantastic job in helping me understand what was going on. So even coming in cold, I was able to like understand and appreciate the storytelling going on in this whole entire situation. Um, you know, kind of like the the Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan um, video that you sent me for the last um, for the last episode we did mm-hmm. um, helped me out with that one. So I really appreciated the commentary in particular uh, in this one. And, and just the the story arc of this whole thing w- was was really well done, and um, really picked up where the wrestling may have lacked a little bit. So fantastic start to um, the Survivor Series. And I before I knew what the main event was going to be, I was actually surprised that this wasn't the main event, right. given the given the talent involved. Yeah. So um. With that, I think we'll we'll step aside um, for our first commercial break, and um, we'll come back and continue with our review of Survivor Series '87. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back. We're going to get into the second Survivor Series. Ben, this is a first because this is the first ever women's Survivor Series match. Absolutely, um, and. Uh, I, I have to I have to tell you even though even though if I if if I were to give the this pay per view a low point if we were doing the traditional high points and the low points this would be the low point however um, they did have an area of focus which I appreciated um, they were focusing on the, the jumping bomb angels as well as the glamour girls from the opposite team. Now, now, the for those of you that don't know, don't feel bad because I didn't know either, and I'm curious if um if Elio had known. Did you know prior to um, watching this who the jumping bomb angels or the glamour girls were? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, Elio's special. <laughs> 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 Because I had no fucking clue. And, and uh, Elio can can go to bat for me. I am a wrestling nerd as well as he is. I'm just not an encyclopedia. Thing um, I, the thing I don't know is the history of how the Glamour Girls became the women's tag team champions. So I'd have to look that one up because I'm well, I'm not even sure like how who they wanted from or like when that took place. Right. Well, even, like, I, video of that. Well, well, I don't know that e- that either. But so so anyway, the focus of these matches were were these two um, tag teams and. Um, the, and the other thing that I found interesting um, about this match was Lady Voldemort, as she's become known on this podcast after her Dark Side of the Ring right. uh, special, um, Fabulous Mula was a baby face in this situation. I was about to say, uh, see, this part confused me because when she was a champion, when Sensational yeah. Cherry uh, faced her for the championship and won, I always 
thought that uh, Sherry was a face, so I'm not sure if at some point she turned heel, and that's where this comes in. Well, and and I I'm not sure either, brother, because all I, all I can tell you is that I was shocked that Mola was a baby face. And I, so I, was I. I because I've never seen that. Nope. Um, you in the history of of watching wrestling and going back and watching old clips as part of this podcast. Yep. Um, and and I had also very rarely seen. Um, sensational Sherry as as a wrestler. However, I have to note that um, you know on one of my first, I think it was on one of my first um, appearances on Wrestling POV when I was still um, the guest. um, When I was still a guest host, we did we did the fantasy uh, match Sherry versus Oscar, I believe. I believe so, and um. These people didn't realize that Sensational Sherry was a wrestler. And even I knew that. And I'm like, you know, these motherfuckers, you know, why are they, you know, I understand not knowing something because as I, as I have d- demonstrated earlier on in the show, I, there are things I don't know and Elio has to clue me in on and vice versa. Um, but um, But I certainly know enough history to, to, to know who's a wrestler and who's not and and you know some basic things and about their storylines and their history and and all this that stuff and I I really don't understand if you don't know a certain level of wrestling knowledge like why are you commenting on like wrestling posts and stuff like that, you know. I that it's just um, it has always fascinated me. But back to um, but back to this. So as I said, these two um, tag teams were the focus of their respective teams, and things really got interesting when when one or both of them were in the ring. Um, at the same time, yeah. outside of that, um, I can't really say that, um, very much in terms of the wrestling caught my attention, no. uh, because it just wasn't that good. Um, but I will say these women were presented as wrestlers and not as the, the, the eye candy or the puppies. That they would become known for uh, in the '90s, so I did appreciate that as well. Um, yeah, I, I, and then, um, go on. Go ahead. Uh, I noticed that Rock and Robin was also in this match. For those of you that don't know, she is uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' si- sister. Yes. Um. And um, by by the way, that that has to be the saddest. Um, dark side of the ring episode I've ever seen in my entire life, and the most uncomfortable one as well. Yeah, I mean, I I just I feel so bad for Jake, um, you know, and 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 all of his family really because Mm -hmm. you know, um, no no wonder he you know 
turned out to have the issues that he had. And, yeah. and thank God that he was able to come back from it before it was too late. And I have nothing but respect for that man. But I have I have no idea how he how he came back from all of that. I I, I right. what, the things that were documented on that show, and I'm I'm not talking about his his alcohol and drug issues. The things that were documented on that show are disturbing as fuck. Yep. Um. So the fact that any of them came out any kind of way resembling a human is is um remarkable um so i did i did notice that rock and robin was in there um and um a lot of this was was basic uh wrestling you know we had um the first elimination was donna christianello yeah courtesy no. of velvet and Sorry, go on, Crusade. I'm gonna fill in the blanks for you on uh, who these uh, women are because I'm looking them up because I, I'm curious to see who, where they've been. And um, and this was this was a victory via victory roll. I think Velvet had two of these yeah, eliminations. Yeah, yep. Uh, via victory roll. She was, no, I think uh, she, I think she was known for that at the time. That's how she won a lot of her matches. We're not taking any calls right now. Right. Stop Shut it. Shut the fuck up. Please don't do that. <laughs> okay, so the first name was we're, Donna. We're in the middle of a podcast. You expect us to pause for the benefit of you? How selfish are you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first one you said was Donna Christianello. Okay. So Donna Christianello debuted in 1963 and... She competed in the WWF uh, in the mid '80s uh, under that name, as well as uh, under the name Princess White Cloud. Prior to WWF, she competed in the NWA. Okay, and, so she was she was a she was a veteran. That's for sure. And she died on August twenty fifth, twenty eleven, from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease at the age of sixty nine. Oh, well, that sucks. Yeah. Um, okay, who's next? Um, and then the next elimination, Rock and Ramen eliminated uh, Don Marie. No, not the, not the ECW one, you fucking nerds. No, this was 1987. Calm down. Don Marie wasn't in the WWF in 1987. What's the matter with you guys? Uh, we're not talking about the same one. So Don Marie, okay. Don Marie, or Don Marie Johnston. Okay, there's uh, really not much uh, on her. She competed in a six-woman match in Japan during the summer of 85, teaming up with Desiree Pearson and a couple of uh, local Japanese uh, female wrestlers, along with the Jumping Bomb Angels. So basically, yes, and, and, that's and once one... again, Go on. and once again, it, it bears repeating that uh, the the Bomb Angels they, they were really getting the lion's share of the attention here because it was it was blatantly obvious that they were 
head and shoulders above everybody else in this match from a from a wrestling skill perspective. Go ahead. So the six woman match in Japan was the focus of the summer of '85. In March of '86, she wrestled for the World Wrestling Federation at the Boston Garden, teaming with Velvet McIntyre against Bull Nakano and Dump Masamoto. And then, oh, of course, and, then, and then, of course, it goes on to talk about how she was on Sensational Sherry's team at Survivor Series 87. And then, uh, during the early 90s, she competed in the Ladies Professional Wrestling Association, or the LPWA. So, really, the, she's oh. the one that, that there's not really much information on her, like, uh, outside of that. Very cool. Um, and then the third elimination, as the Bomb Angels continue to get the lion's share of attention, um, was, um, was Rockin' Robin. She was, so, so backing up a little bit, you'll, you'll notice, I, I, earlier I said a lot of the wrestling was basic, right? Yeah. So, so the first elimination, uh, which, which was, Don Cristiano by Velvet McIntyre mm-hmm. was done by a victory roll. Okay, now the second one, which I, we just mentioned, that was off of a cross body, and the third elimination, which Sensational Sherry eliminated Rock and Robin, was done via a suplex. <laughs> um, I'm telling you all these like basic moves that like end of matches. It's like what? So yeah, well, and once again, and and this is this is going to be a theme as long as we're in we're in the eighties here, you know, we've really drilled this point home. Um, yeah. The eighties were a different time. It, yep. it's it's it, it is blatantly obvious, and and I had to get accustomed to that because when I started watching these eighties shows um, for this podcast. And this is going back five years now. I had to, I had to make an adjustment as to how I was reviewing these shows because at at first I was like, "What in the hell is going on here?" Because no, because I was so yeah. used to to seeing wrestling a, a certain way, and you know how a clothesline or a suplex is just a, a you know a regular move to to set something else up yeah uh, you know um so the um the fourth elimination judy martin is my hero of the of the, of the survivor series just for doing this she eliminated fabulous Noah via a double clothesline yep what am i doing lal in case they can't hear it you're applauding the golf clap <laughs> exactly <laughs> Fuck you, fabulous noise. You want to treat people like that? Fuck you. Um, um, it, yes, and and this is this is this is where her second um her second victory roll uh came in after the double uh after the double clothesline. Before this, um, sh- uh, b- before this, I think Judy Martin also hit a um. I um or no, it was Velvet McIntyre that did it. She um 
she did a like a very nice uh, giant swing. Cesaro would have been proud. Um, so I was, I know, I Ooh. was impressed by that. Who would have been proud? Uh, Claudio Casanova, you know, that he's in AEW. I don't know that name. We're in 1987. Who is that? <laughs> I'm joking. Go on. <laughs> and then, um, so the, the next elimination, Velvet McIntyre was was eliminated via an electric chair. Hold on, sorry, you can back, let back up a minute. Yeah. You, you notice how the team captains were eliminated back to back? Yeah, and it was um <laughs> that was that's it so was, weird. I'm no like I'm looking at it now, like to like actually see it on the screen, but I like, didn't see it in writing Fabulous Mode Super Sharon. Like the team captains got eliminated back to back. What is going on? Yeah, and and that doesn't happen in no. um, you know in current um, Survivor Series format. Usually, usually either the captains get eliminated very early to set up the adversity storyline, or they're like one of the survivors. Yep. Um, if not the only one. All right, so um, Ben, go on. Uh, no, I was down. Go ahead. Oh, okay, so Ben. So you don't know anything about the Velvet McIntyre, correct? Outside of uh, like uh, this match, correct? And the WrestleMania too. Right. So Velvet McIntyre, Irish, Irish Canadian retired pro wrestler who began her career in 1980. So she she competed in Canada from 1981 to 1984. Then she competed in the WWF first in 1982 and then from 84 to 88. Then she returned to Canada from 1993 to 1998. And uh, retired from wrestling in 98 after okay. giving, after giving birth uh, to twins, oh, good, good for her. I I mean, in all seriousness, yeah. I'm not being a smartass. So now, now, um, now in her spare time, she makes and sells crafts. So like uh, her championships, she's a one-time Canadian Wrestling Alliance uh, Women's Champion, an Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling Champion one-time international championship and uh, WWA champion and then one-time NWA Texas women's champion United States women's champion and world tag team champion and also a one-time WWF women's champion and two-time tag team okay so she was the inaugural um in the inaugural uh, women's tag team champions, so that would explain where the glamour girls come in. Because... Okay, and apparently, from what I'm looking at, because you mentioned this name um, earlier on in, um, I think, in the last episode, she was trained by Sandy Barr. Uh, McIntyre. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. And Sandy Barr uh, being Jesse Barr's father, or Jimmy Jack Funk. Yeah. <laughs> and crazy he, name. 
Come on. Yeah, and he's also the the um the father of Art Bar. Yep. Um, who might be Jesse Bar? That was just. Are Jesse Bar and Art Bar the same guy, or are they brothers? You know what? I'm gonna quickly look up for you. I want to say they're the same guy, but I know, but I know the name Art Bar better because I know Art Bar was a early tag team partner of Eddie Guerrero. I'm going to. Okay, so Jimmy Jack Funk is one person. Jesse Bar, Art Bar. Art Bar is a completely different person. Art Bar was uh, the juicer in WCW or Beetlejuice in WCW. Okay. That was remember Beetlejuice in WCW. Yeah, that was Art I Bar. Do, that, that that's Art Bar. Oh man, yeah. he died when he was twenty eight. Good God. Yep. Heart attack by a drug overdose. That's sad. Yeah. Jesus. So that that is art bar. Okay, yeah, but I just I remember you, I'm mentioning Sandy Bar, uh, in the last episode. So mm-hmm. it all ties together. How nice! <laughs> like a little like a little Christmas bow. <laughs> no. All right. So who's next? What, um, what's the so- exclamation? So we have, um, let's see. Um, then Velvet, then Leilani Kai was eliminated by uh, Itsuki Yamasaki, one half of the um, jumping jump, of the Jumping Angels. All right, Leilani Kai. What do you know about Leilani Kai? Um, I've heard that name more than the others. But I really don't know much about her background. So Leilani Kai debuted in 1975. Her early career spanned between 1975 and 85. She was trained by Mula right, so, out, of, right out of high school. <laughs> then, she, so. then she competed in the WWF from 85 to 89. As uh, one half of the Glamour Girls from 85 to 89. Okay, here, this explains it. So, they won the win. The Glamour Girls won the tag team championships from Velvet McIntyre and Desiree Peterson in Egypt in August of 85. So they what were they doing been, in Egypt? Jesus. So they, they'd already been champions for two years at this time. And then she competed for the LPWA from 1990 to 91. And then uh, she made a a short return to WWF for WrestleMania 10 in 94. Oh, and, very uh, cool. Back to the end of UA for a short time, for a short stint. Very cool. And uh, um, yeah, so that's uh, the, the all the background on Leilani Kai. So the sole survivors were the jumping bomb angels, which no surprise because look, I had no idea, you know, who they were prior to this. Well, but you if you... Judy Martin. No, was... they, they... no late, first it was Lady Kai and then it was Judy Martin was eliminated by the other jumping bomb angel. Oh oh yes. I'm sorry. 
Yes, Judy Martin was eliminated via a clothesline. You know it's you know it's the eighties. I mean this isn't JBL. I mean, right. for God's sake. Again, fans keep calling in when um, they calls. I know. So Ju we Judy so Judy Martin was in the WBF in nineteen seventy nine, then again from eighty one to eighty nine, then AWA, LPWA, WCW and the P Professional Girl Wrestling Association and after re after her retirement she she worked in law enforcement and then where she transcribed medical records and then apparently she was involved in the lawsuit against the WWE in 2016 in July of 2016 I'm sorry what was that last part uh, so she, after her, after she retired from wrestling, she worked in law enforcement, transcribing medical records, and then in July of 2016, she was named part of the class action lawsuit filed against WWE regarding wrestlers uh, and traumatic brain injuries. Do you remember that uh, lawsuit that was going on? Oh yeah, that was huge. Yeah, so she was a. Uh, she was one of the names in that lawsuit. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So um, now the sole survivors. The yeah, the sole survivors were. Yeah, drum roll, please. I'm sure this will be a shock. The jump. <laughs> the jumping bomb angels, which, which by the way, if you play the drinking game. By how many times they mentioned the jumping bomb angels in this match, you would have been falling off your ass. Right. It was um, it was it was really very very funny, um, and then um, oh god, and I forget what it was, but there was also another one where um, where Gorilla Monsoon said this word. Oh yes, it's a happening. Okay, okay. right. I, I told you that. I told you that. He kept saying that over and over. I'm like, say it one more time. Say it one more time. I dare you to say it. <laughs> like everything is a happening. Stop. <laughs> So you noticed that too, okay? Because I swear to God, I was getting annoyed. <laughs> oh I, I, I love, I love Gorilla Monster. Okay. Stop. <laughs> but it just, it, it was getting more. It was getting just as annoying as Butcher T with Trey Williams theme song. <laughs> it was, it was bad. So uh ne next up we have um let's see the third match of the night. I think was, we need this uh, one in before commercial. Yes, I think we can too. Yeah. Um okay, this was actually Oh, oh I think this is the one that, that you uh, have a bone to pick with Jim Brunzel. yes it is yes it is. <laughs> okay, well, so uh, this, this match was the semi main event. This was a 20 man. They they're calling this a tag team elimination bonanza. Pretty much what this means. <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 who called it that? Was it about Gorilla Monsoon? 
I, I don't know, but they, but in in parentheses, this is what just what it's spelled as. So basically, the rules is if if one member of the of the team gets eliminated, then the entire team is gone, right? So the, that makes sense. Go on. Which which may which thank God that was the case because if we had to wait for both members of twenty tag of nineteen tag teams to get eliminated, we would have been there all fucking night long. Yeah. It, it, it would it would have been like like you know the WrestleManias before they before they changed it to two night WrestleManias when they were doing those eight hour spectacles. Mm-hmm. So so we had demolition, the Bolsheviks. The New Dream Team, the Heart Foundation, the Islanders, uh, versus the Strike Force, the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, Le Frère Rougeau, the Rougeau Brothers. I don't know what the fuck they said. Le Frère Rougeau. Le Frère Rougeau. Yes, no, I I don't know. Say the Russo brother, right? Say the Well, thank God, thank God, my co-host is partially French because if I had to butcher that all by myself, it would have been bad. Oh God, um. So okay, I'm not gonna go through this whole thing because we'd be here for tw- for 20 minutes and we don't have 20 minutes. Uh, n- not not in this recording. So I'm just going to go through my my pet peeve. Okay. So so one two of the final teams. I think it was two out of the final four were um were. The Killer Bees and the Heart Foundation, right? And I'm thinking, okay, there's three or four teams left in here. The Heart Foundation is going to win. They're the, it was either going to be the Heart Foundation or the British Bulldogs, mm-hmm. you know, based based off their feud or you know what? Right. And then, so, um, so I'm good with that, and I'm I'm excited about it. We're getting down to the, the nitty gritty, as Grilla Monsoon called it. I actually laughed; that was pretty funny. Um, you know, it, it's starting to matter here. I can follow things. We're good. And then jumping Jim Rottenzell used to really piss me off. In what world is it okay? In what world is it logical? And I'm legitimately maybe the killer bees were more over than I thought. Where do they get off defeating the Heart Foundation in this situation? He 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 pinned exactly. how dare Bret, you? He he pinned Bret Hart via a reversal of a leverage pin. I shit you not. A man dressed up as a bumblebee. <laughs> no, no, no. Hold on. Wait, wait. Did they have their mask on? Because I thought I heard him say he wasn't even the illegal killer bee. 
Well, well, and you took the next sentence right out of my mouth. So, so not even the legal man defeated Bret Hart and eliminated the Hart Foundation from this match. I, I, I was so pissed off. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't like that. Like, did they do that? Because that, that shouldn't. Uh, you know, they get it. That's like, uh, that's like their thing. Like, to, like, throw off their opponents, but still. And and then, uh, oh my God! Oh, you know, thank the Lord that the young stallions were part of the part of the winning team. But the fact that the killer bees were in the winning scenario here was just like what? Yeah. And and then and then. Don't think I forgot about this either, folks. <laughs> I do not forget. Demolition was eliminated via contact, and we know from earl- and we know from earlier on in the show how much I hate countouts. Yep. But at least in that in that situation, it kind of made sense based off how they did it. How? How? Well, hold on, the so, most... Here it says Smash was uh, eliminated by disqualification. Where's yeah. A- but where's Axe though? It was well, because he game. because he got eliminated because if one member of the team gets oh, eliminated, that's right, that's right, yeah, 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 yeah. And again, so um, did the fans want to talk about this travesty? That we're going uh, uh, well well you know what in, in in this case I don't blame them because it's just it's asinine. But yep. my my question to you and, and then we'll move to a commercial break before moving on to the next match. All right. Is you know, and I know there's a lot going on, there's a lot of confusion and, and when you got this many bodies in the ring. But how stupid do you make one of the most prolific tag teams of the 80s? And uh, oh, by the way, fuck just the 80s. One of the most prolific tag teams of all time in demolition. Look, that's stupid. Where, where in a 20-man match, you get eliminated via countout. How stupid do you have to be to get eliminated via countout in a situation where you got 18 other guys in the ring? The fuck is going on? It it, it boggles in the mind. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Elio losing the five second shuffle. (laughs) All right, you know what's going on? Don't worry, Clay. I'm coming to get my title back. Yes, and you know, and I know that I play, and and I get, you know, the 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 I'm not good at it because like I just need more time than five seconds. But that yeah. that's the rule, and whatever, that, that's fine. Yeah, but, but, I, I, but didn't you know, lose, I didn't lose because I didn't know anything. I, I lost because of the forbidden song. But but anyway, yeah. there were certain there were certain miscarriages of justice going on at the Survivor Series. So I just had to highlight some of them. And and with that in mind, we'll take our next intermission before moving on to uh, the last part of Survivor Series 1987. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Alright, we're back and we have one more match to get to, but Ben, before that, I have to tell you the one part of the show that I absolutely, absolutely loved was a Ted DiBiase vignette. I, I'm right there with you, my friend. Um, I mean, I was laughing my ass off. Oh, my uh, and you know what? You know which one stood out to me the most? I remember, I remember this vividly. The one where he, was, where he bought the whole pool himself. It's like, I'm sure you find something wrong with the pool. I'm sorry, sir, I can't. I mean, these people are taxpayers. I pay more taxes <laughs> in a year than they, these people pay in their entire lifetime. <laughs> Yeah, and you know it was it was interesting because I noticed, um, you know, Ted DiBiase and Virgil were were equals in this, yeah. like, you yeah. know, and, and later on, you know, Virgil would become, you know, subordinate. Yep. He would become, you know, Ted DiBiase's bitch. <laughs> um, to to use a word to use a phrase that's commonly used in wrestling to to describe these things, um, but it was um, yeah, th this was one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Ben, do you know the story of the Million Dollar Man? I mean, he, uh, not not the guy. I mean, like the character where they got that. Um, I. No, I thought it was from a movie, but I forget which one. The Million Dollar Man. The guy that is loosely based on Vince McMahon. When Teddy Biasi was walking around holding that money, that was real money. Vince McMahon gave him that and said, this is your character, you're the Million Dollar Man. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Can you imagine holding a million dollars in your hands? Right? It's like to make it look like a million dollars, but they were actually like hundred dollar bills. Like that Vince actually gave him money. He said, this is your character. Oh, that's, um, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So that's where uh, we got the million dollar man. But, uh, wow. The little man was so rude. At, at 14, the, that kid was dribbling the ball. At 14, at 15, he kicks it. <laughs> yes. That's um, so What's going on? And even RVD <laughs> was in there. A young RVD. He was he in those? Was he in the? He was. Uh, do you remember the first one with that kid that was looking up at DiBiase? Uh, yeah. That was him. Oh Jesus! Yeah. I never would. I I didn't know that. I yeah, never that was a young RVD. Oh, that's that is incredible. All right, so on to the main event. Then, what do we have? We have the Canelo Maniacs and versus the Pierce family with Elio Hogan against Ben the Giant. Well, you know what? I will gladly take that matchup because if we're, if we're going by that logic, I won. And I get Bobby the Brain Heenan. So, thank you. Come again. Um, no, this was um, this was an awesome event. Um, 
there were several aspects of this that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Number one being the fact that um, they made Bam Bam Bigelow into a star in this match. You know how they talk about star making performances? Mm-hmm. This was this was that for for Bam Bam Bigelow because now, he now, was. Now, did you uh, did you see his new his manager Oliver Humperdinck there? Yes. At the end, when he told you that story, right? Um. Of how he became uh, Bam Bam's manager. Uh no, I don't think so. Okay, so Batman Bigelow is still the new the new guy in the WWF, right? So all these managers wanting to manage him. So who would they? Who would uh, he go with? Would he go with Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Slick, Mister Fuji? Like they 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 all uh claim that they signed Batman Bigelow. However. We after weeks of speculating who would who would be his manager, he finally picked Sir Oliver Humperdinck, someone that no one would have expected. Yeah, and, but the, but the thing is, like, it it it, it almost works because it's so random. Like nobody would have expected yeah. that. So like, we had two, we had two new debuts. We had Batman Bigelow and Oliver Humperdinck. Um, <laughs> well, you know, first and foremost, I love Bam Bam Bigelow. I, I, you know, he was, he was one of the first, um, you know, wrestlers that I really connected to when I, when I was a kid. The first one, be, the first one being, um, you know, Brian Pillman, the second one being Booker T, and probably the third one being Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, you know, not not to mention the fact he looks scary as hell. Uh, speaking of speaking of his look, I got a huge kick out of Jesse Ventura in this match um, because he was he was talking about how um, Bam Bam and uh, King Kong Bundy could have been twins if it wasn't for for Bam Bam Bigelow's tattoos. And then at a different point in the match, he was like, you know, Bundy could probably, or, but yeah, Bundy could probably just pick a tattoo and, and pound on that one and, and then pick a different one and pound on that one <laughs> to hurt Bigelow. And, you know, it was just hilarious. Um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, um, I don't think I've, I, of all the times I've I've heard Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary, um, I think this is the time where he he, um, he did the best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as a heel commentator, you know, he, he your your job is to be annoying, and he was very good at that. Um, but um, at certain points, he was distracting to me. But but at but in this situation, he really uh, enhanced the the experience. Right. Um. So going back to um the the matches or the the match itself. Um. The first elimination was Butch Reed. He didn't last very long. He was eliminated 
courtesy of a leg drop by Hulk Hogan. And um and uh, you know the reviewer that I'm that I'm that I'm using to to you know keep track of the eliminations made a comment that I find just too funny not to mention. He said he said while Butch was getting pinned, Hulk was probably warning him to stay away from his daughter. <laughs> that was so, so hilarious. Oh I'm, I'm sorry. I know that's horrible, but I just find that to be absolutely wow. hilarious. Um, and then the next one, Ten Patera, our mutual Facebook friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one reason or another, which I've never been able to figure out, but we love you, Ken, was eliminated by one man gang via a lariat. Once again, this is the 80s. Um, And um, the third elimination, Paul Orndorff um, got got by Rick Rude and a schoolboy. This was a weird feud, and I'll explain this, because basically... There's really nothing to explain. Do you want to know the story behind this feud? Is because, yes, uh, I do. Rick is over whose physique was better. Paul of Rick Rude. <laughs> oh, God. It was just, oh, my. It was just, I don't know. It was weird. Go on. Um, you know, it, it's just. And to to Elio's point, some of the some of the reasoning for feuds in the eighties they'll make you laugh. <laughs> they, they they really they really will. Um, you know, sometimes you get serious ones like you know Randy Savage thinks Hogan is sleeping with Miss Elizabeth, um, or. Or you know he th- or he thinks Ric Flair was doing something with Elizabeth, and then you'll get something stupid like you know Paul Orndorff and Rick Rude fighting over who has the better pecs. You know, and it's just you know, and, you know the the thing, the thing that's funny to me is they were still doing that stuff like in two thousand three because remember when Triple H and and Scott Steiner were having the bodybuilding contest. Yeah, and okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and but to me, it was always Triple H with the better body because, you know, you can't tell me that, that Scott Steiner wasn't really out of his goddamn mind. Now ben, sorry, I forgot to ask you this last time. Uh, I forgot to ask you this last year. Now, did you... Did you notice? Okay, did you pay attention to Paul Orndorff's arm? Like, yes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it was significantly smaller. Yes. Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, and, because of his uh, injury. Yeah, and apparently I was looking that up after the fact, and apparently it even atrophied because of that injury. Yep. Um, which I did, which I didn't know. Um, but, um, but moving on, um, and then Rick Rude was eliminated by Don Morocco. Mm-hmm. 
Seriously, do your research, folks. If you don't know who Don Morocco is, what don't, the fuck? Don't, don't be stupid and ask questions like, who the hell is Don Morocco? Don't call yourself a wrestling fan if you can ask stupid questions like that. Stupid questions deserve stupid answers because you're Seriously. stupid people and you're wasting our time. Seriously. Shut up, bitch. Fuck. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, and then, and this one kind of pissed me off, too. Can you explain? Uh, can you explain to me why they were pushing one man gang so hard? Because they were pushing him like man hell in gang. this match. Yeah, I never, I never understood like why they were pushing this guy. I mean, yeah, okay, he was like uh, this big guy from from Chicago, and but uh, I never understood. You know what? I'm actually looking stuff up right now on him. Yeah. So early career began from seventy seven to eighty two. He he was then he was in the independence, then competed in various territories from eighty three to eighty six. Competed in world class championship for one year and from eighty five to eighty six. He stayed in mid south for for a while, eighty two, eighty three, eighty five to eighty seven. Okay, so he, from 87 to 90, he was in the WWF. Debuted on May 12th, but like, I, I think they were pushing him to like, be like uh, Hogan's next challenger, I want to say, but I I can't say for sure. Well, I don't think that panned out right or not, correctly. Like, I mean, they had a few matches, but I don't think, uh, but they, it never went anywhere after that. He did challenge that once or twice, I want to say. Okay, cool. Well, then, thank you for the background because I was trying to figure out, you know, because I remembered him, but like I don't, I don't remember him being a big deal. Let alone oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Here we go. Well, the gang often defeated enhancement talent and other lower card wrestlers with ease. He was often on the end of defeat when main eventing against bigger stars. So although he was a, so he was part of an angle regarding Billy Graham, where Billy Graham was forced into retirement. So he was part of that angle uh, where he forced superstar Billy Graham into retirement, which I'm, I don't recall that. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall that I know, either. I, I know Greg Valentine attacked him, and uh, which led to Morocco turning face after making the save. But I don't recall uh, one man being involved in there. It's funny. I can't, I can't envision Don Morocco as a as a face, <laughs> right? Especially after like his cage match with uh, with um. Jimmy Snuka. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I, and I knew the cage match was with Jimmy Snuka. He, Elio just said it faster. Don't jump on me. You don't know Jimmy Snuka. You don't know that match. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> of course I know that match. Just piss off. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that to our audience at large, but I know there's some numb nut out there that because uh, you know. Leo said it for me that some idiot's gonna think I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, fucking dumb, dumb. Um. Right. So what do we have next? So, so basically, the big, 
selling point of this match. Well, really, there were two of them. One, like I said earlier, was they made Bam Bam Bigelow a star because he was the sole he was the sole remaining guy for his team, but he was he was facing, um, you know, Andre the Giant, yep. uh, King Kong Bundy, and um, and hold on, I'll I'll get the other guy. Hold on. Um, Andre the Giant, King Kong, Bundy, and who the fuck was it? Um, was it? Was it um, recruit? No, woman no, gang. Was, was it woman gang? Yes. No, yeah. Okay. Because um. But Bam Bam eliminated uh, three of the four. Yes, he the only one that he didn't eliminate was Andre, and of course, of course, Andre ended up being the sole survivor. Yeah. So that that really made him the him a star. And then the other thing that they were focusing on, obviously, was Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Because you know, you know what I hated that ending, not Andre winning. I hated what happened afterwards. Yeah, because, and I'm glad you 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 brought that up because it made Hulk Hogan look like a heel to me. Um, because and once again, Jesse Ventura, fantastic job on this pay per view, but really right here, um, you know. He he was saying, you know, why would he come out and, and attack him after he got eliminated? And um, Gorilla Monsoon, while this all was uh, happening, um, you know, he was trying to justify, um, you know, Hogan coming out and, and attacking and attacking him, which was interesting because Gorilla Monsoon was always, you know, the straight-laced... Um, you know, commentator, kind of like the rule follower, and you know, you know, very much the good guy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but I, I was, I, I was like, well, you know, this is really making Hogan look like a heel. Well, really, what they were doing was that if you, if you're, unless you're stupid and you don't know anything about wrestling. You know, you know what happened at WrestleMania three, and this was a and this was a playoff of that. Well, well, in that match, outside of the slam, uh, one of the other uh, really clo- really well known moments is Andre the Giant getting a two count on Hulk Hogan, which which led to um, to Bobby Heenan. Primarily, uh, declaring him the uncrowned champion. That's why you. Um, that's why you heard um, Andre being announced as such by by Heenan. Um, you know, as he was coming out to the ring. Um, so th- those were the two uh, major storylines coming uh, coming out of this. Um, and you know, and it really. It, for me, that was nice because I never really got any of the follow-up 
from the Hogan Andre uh, WrestleMania three moment until now. There's a lot more coming. And this so is, this isn't over yet. So obviously, I know I know some more of the fallout, but yeah. but I I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. So um, this is so this is going to be interesting. And uh, you know, it really, it really ended a very, a, a very compelling um, show. And when I was first, when I first saw that this was going to only be four matches, and you know, one of them was going to involve twenty guys, and they were all going to be tag team situations, because you know how I feel about tag teams, and you know, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes the Survivor Series matches can get a little bit repetitive. Well, well, you know, this was this was the first one, and so they were really pushing it. And um, this this show really turned out to be a very good show. Uh, yep. my, minus, in my opinion, the uh, the women's match, and even that had some good moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Of all of the um, wrestling history 101 episodes that we've done so far, this has got to be my favorite. Yeah, this was fun. And and those Ted DiBiase, you know, uh, moments. Ted, don't you think that chlorine is a little too high in the pool? <laughs> Well, in all in all seriousness, I just I just closed my pool for the summer, uh, or for the winter. I'm um, sure I wish we can come up with a reason to open it. So I'd have to I'd have <laughs> to open hole. it back up to uh, to check the chlorine levels, but I think we're good. <laughs> so great! I love those vignettes. My God. Okay, so that's Survivor Series '87. Ben, what do you give this show? I would I would give it an eight out of ten, and yeah. um, and I I would even give it a nine out of ten for for historical value, but overall I would give it eight out of ten. Okay, yeah, this was a fun show. So I guess that does it for this episode of Wrestling History One Hundred and One. Yes, it does, and, and and like I said, this is one of my favorite episodes so far. And Ben, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna go watch a movie after this. And I, I'm gonna go to the theaters because there is a new movie that just came out called Three Men and a Baby," starring Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson. Now I've I've heard of it and I've seen clips, but I I, I must admit I'm not overly familiar with um with that movie. Okay, it's a sidebar back here in 2023. I actually did go to theaters to watch that movie when he came out in 87. Oh, you did? I did. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah, I remember I, we were sitting in the theaters. It was me, my brothers, and my mom. <laughs> that, yeah. that, was, yep. that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I guess the next time I talk to you, it will be 1988. Yes, and, and the next one is WrestleMania 4, correct? Uh, actually, no, it's not. It is Royal Rumble 88. And this is actually a pay-per-view. This is the first official Royal Rumble. 
Okay. Yeah. And this took place from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, at the Cops Coliseum on January 24th. Yeah, so uh, so definitely stay tuned uh, or tune in. I'm so used to saying stay tuned at the end of segments. Um, but but tune in for our next episode of Wrestling History 101. I'm not sure it'll top this one. This one was particularly good. Um, and I, I personally have not seen uh, Royal Rumble 88. Um, so oh. I have... I have to do some some research before I go making some predictions about the next show. But you definitely want to tune in, and um, and we'll be back with a regular show on Saturday mm-hmm. um, as we gear up toward War Games and Survivor Series, as was confirmed by not the original but another Pierce on Raw last night. So um, until next time, he's Elio, I'm Ben, class dismissed. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads.